Hello, listeners. We're kicking off another episode with our friends over at Mentor Cam. As a reminder, Mentor Cam gives you access to high profile advisors and experts for one on one advice. For more information, go to codestory.co slash mentorcam. That's M E N T O R C A M to learn more. Use the discount code CODE, C O D E, all one word, to get 20% off your first mentorship session. Well, today I have another special guest on the podcast. We have Benjamin Balas, co-founder and CTO of MentorCam. He's a self-taught coder from the age of 15. He's designed and developed apps for Lamborghini, for Visa, for Maserati, and he started up several startups as well around empowering individuals. So Benjamin, thank you for being on the show today. Thank you very much for having me. Really excited to jump into all things product. Before we jump into that, tell me a little bit about you. Tell me in the audience about you. Born and raised in Hungary, my dad has a software hardware company. They actually renovate uh, theaters. Me starting coding when I was at like 14, 15 was not a strange thing, although back then was definitely a, a strange thing in the eyes of everyone else. <laughs> so I remember for Christmas, I, I asked my parents to, to buy me this book, uh, the, the Flash Bible, it was called. It's a, it was a two two books. I got that. I remember it was, I think, uh, $40. And I just started taking those books to school instead of the books that I was supposed to take. Uh, and this, that, that's how I got started. <laughs> Many people, I think, from the from the current generation, don't even know what Flash Flash was. But essentially, Flash was the only way for us to be able to create something that that has motion in the browser, beautiful animations, and and it was a, a big thing amongst photographers. And I I was also a, an amateur photographer, so I wanted to build a great, beautiful photography website for myself. So I got I got into Flash. Well, let's jump let's jump into the product world, right? So you you've done quite a few things in product and development, and so all my questions are going to center around that space. So let's start out with with this question. So what makes a solid MVP for a startup, right? That's a pretty open-ended question, but the MVP is a a topic that's talked about quite a bit. In your expert opinion, what makes a solid MVP? I consider something a solid MVP when you either have retention or great feedback. Some people love your product and they voice it either to you directly or to their peers. To me, it's not necessarily about numbers. I think in the beginning, if you have a few people who love your product, I think if you have 10, you know that you can go up to a hundred. If you have a hundred, you know, you can do a thousand and from thousand, you know, you, you get the, <laughs> the thinking. That's my short answer. But I think this is something that we all learn as we go. And it's a process that it, it just never ends. Even refining the terminologies and what it is that we consider something solid. So, so with an MVP, you do have to decide where to stop engineering, right? Or where to stop building. How do you go about finding that line of this is when an MVP is engineered enough? This is something that uh, I myself, I, I would say I have to get better at because as an engineer, you always want to ship more, more and more features, right? The golden rule is that you have to publish your product even if you think it's embarrassing. If, if you don't think it's embarrassing, this is, you're so late. 
to give you a more detailed answer, I, I would say I, I always like to build products that I know that I myself would use. So, so you can be your first customer, but there is a caveat here is that you really need to be your first customer in a sense that you need to use your product in action, not in a hypothetical or theoretical way. So when I, when I built my first startup just before I graduated, like I said, I wanted to, to build a great photography website for myself. So my first startup was about a platform that enables anyone to build beautiful photography websites, right? My criteria was that, okay, well, if I can build a great website for myself and, and if that website gets some kind of recognition, okay, now I have something because now I know that it was actually built through my platform. And I always tell everyone that I think even when it comes to learning how to code, the best way to learn coding is by, is by building something that works and not the other way. You don't learn to code just for the sake of learning it because it's cool. You, you have to want to build something that works. <laughs> So, okay, from a, from a product standpoint, you know, there's this term, technical debt, right? And us in the tech world kind of know what that means. But, but give it your own voiceover. What is technical debt to you, and, and when is the right time to pay it? As an example, with MentorCam, six, six months into building the MVP, I realized that, that uh, we, have, we have a technical debt that cannot be pushed down the line. We actually took a step back and re and changed the backend completely. We started out with Ruby, and then we switched to Firebase. And even though it was not easy in the beginning, because it's not that easy to secure Firebase on a level that I, I wanted to have it secured, but essentially I, I got it done in like four to six weeks. And that was like the best decision. To answer your question directly, from my own customer experience perspective, it just it just didn't work. It was so clunky that I was like, no, no, no. It's <laughs> just a bad user experience. And that was a good decision. We, we are, Ever since we are running on Firebase, and I'm, I'm very happy with it. We, we never had to re-engineer uh, anything that, that, that even we developed like two years ago. Sounds like it's a little bit of an experience-based way to find it like like to find it you gotta you kind of gotta go through it yeah there are two ways to experience this as a customer and as as a developer in in terms of maintainability and and extensibility if it's hard to build a, a new rollout a new feature that you should know deep in your heart that should take a day and then you spend four days on it now you have te technical debt yeah that, this is something to be honest that, that i I never really had to deal with it because I was always obsessed with keeping the code base super clean. Now, of course, I wasted time. I shipped things much later than I could have. That's, that was definitely a trade-off. But I'd rather sleep well in terms of knowing that I can, you know, keep, keep extending my code base and capitalize on it than at one day hitting, a, hitting the iceberg, right? Makes total sense. And actually, that's, an, that's a really good segue into another one of my questions. So when is the right time to factor in scalability? When is the, the right time to think about building it to explode in the future, explode in a good way? Yeah, full disclosure. The products that I've built, these products are not 
being used by millions of users in a database, right? So on, on that note, my experience is limited. I personally like to think of scalability from day zero. Again, because I want to, sl- I want to sleep well. I'm making a bet that whatever I build will be used by millions of people one day. And, you know, we all hope that this will happen overnight. Even when I was building my previous startup, I think after four years ago, I went totally serverless. When serverless just kind of like starting out, I switched everything over. So my view is that if you can make a switch, if you don't have to re-engineer your whole stack, but kind of like tweak it a little bit and and use something that is modern, then I think you should make that investment. Before I was editing Nginx uh, configs. Now I don't even think about Nginx because I'm using something totally different to to host. The less code you maintain, the better it is. Let other much more skilled and much much better funded developers worry about some of the heavy lifting. So how do you find product market fit? You know, the grand question. Right? How how do you know when you've hit it? I hope you you heard my deep breath. Uh, this is a heavy a heavy topic. To be perfectly honest, I I myself have not found that recipe. To me, product market fit again. It comes down to retention and and building something that people want. Now, how do you do that? Sometimes you get lucky, but uh, at the end of the day, it comes down to iterating fast. There is also a caveat here, which I found, which keeps me thinking about, like, okay, but, but what is an experiment? What is an iteration, right? Because when you're a perfectionist, you really want to test something out to the point that you say, okay, checkbox. It's a dilemma. This, uh, to me, it's a dilemma every day when we do a test. Did we do this test good enough so that we know the real result or not? Some people say, yeah, but even if it's sketchy, you should get some result that, that then on the basis of that, then maybe you do you iterate one more time. I kind of consider myself as a perfectionist in that sense. And this is an everyday dilemma. What is enough? Well, last question. So how much of product building creation is art versus science? I'm a creator myself. You're a creator and I'm curious, how much do you believe is it, is it art versus science? Before starting MentorCamp, I, I, I was under the impression that this is art. And now I know that it's not. It's science, pure science. It is just that in some, in some cases, you, you do something artistic and you think that something happened because of that. But I know something happened because of some underlying reasons. This is something I learned from my co-founder. It's got a very kind of a domino thinking, right? If we do this, then that will happen. And I think it's pure, pure science. I mean, I think a really good example is I got inspired by the the, the material design when, when Google came up with it. And I, I felt it was wow, so amazing. But when I started actually uh, using it for mentor camp early days, then I realized it's too engineered. And then I looked into Apple a lot. Apple is like engineered, but at the same time, it's more emotional. It's more kind of romantic in, in that sense, right? So I think Apple is the holy grail in terms of design, product design. You get both. If you look at MentorCamp today, it's too engineered, but we are working on 
making it more romantic, I would say. <laughs> well, Benjamin, thank you for, for being on the show today and, and answering my questions about all things product. I really appreciate your expert advice on building amazing products. Thank you very much for having me. Well, this concludes another great chat and expert advice from our friends over at Mentor Cam. Check out all the great mentors and experts by going to codestory.co slash mentorcam today. Make sure to use the promo code CODE, C-O-D-E, for 20% off. Stay tuned in next week for another great chat and expert advice from our friends over at Mentor Cam.